Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Good morning. One night, a wife found her husband standing in the nursery over the baby bed. His arms just crossed, just with this perplexed look on his face, one of amazement and delight. They just brought this little one home. He's just standing over the crib, just scratching his head, and he takes a few steps back, and she sees him from the door. She watches a while as he just She comes and she puts her arms around him. She whispers in his ear, Penny, for your thoughts. He said, it's just amazing. She says, yeah. He said, I mean, it just, I can't, I, it's, it's such a, it's just amazing. She says, yeah. He said, I mean, I just can't get my head around it, if you just look at it, you, you know? She says, yeah? What? He says, $249 for a crib. <laughs> Barely going to sleep in it. Fatherhood is expensive. It is expensive. Like, you just, it's not a thing you think about until it's just, it's expensive. But it's more than just expensive, it's costly. But it's expensive. In fact, I read an article this week that somewhere around $110 billion is spent in the United States dealing with the fatherless. And you think, really? Here's a few statistics for you. 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless runaways under the age of 18 come from fatherless homes. 85% of behavioral disorders that you see in school come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of kids in juvenile detention centers. Girls are twice as likely to suffer from obesity and four times more likely to get pregnant who come from fatherless homes. Here's what's interesting, is this is an article from NPR, National Public Radio. Here's one from Focus on the Family. 24 million fatherless kids in the United States. They are 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances. 85% of the people currently in prison come from fatherless homes. Listen, when Focus on the Family and NPR get on the same page, there's some apocalyptic stuff about to pop off. <laughs> it is a tragedy. 
It is expensive. God established family in the Garden of Eden. And that's kind of the first little thing that he does, you know. He creates the world and populates it with animals and fish and all this, all this kind of stuff. And then he puts the man here and then he creates the woman and then they have these children. Then it begins. And God had a plan for the way this was supposed to go. And the man's job was to protect and to provide and to take care of, to tend. But due to the passive weaknesses of the flesh, he excluded himself from conversations he probably should have been in. And things went downhill. And then it just went downhill fast. I mean, we don't even get to a second generation. We just get Adam and Eve, their kids, and we can't get outside of that family without having a murder. God has tried to set us up. He's tried. He's tried over and over to set us up to do things the right way. But it's just, it's just hard, and we just refuse, and we are just weak sometimes. In fact, God sticks with people. He keeps bringing them along, trying all the more to get them to follow and to adopt his way of life. And so then he brings them finally to a place of captivity in Egypt. They're stuck, and they need rescued. And so God sends Moses and Moses comes in and he ushers them out in a dramatic fashion. And then multiple years go by as they're wandering, still trying to figure out their identity, trying to understand who this God is and what he wants from them. And then finally, the time arrives for them, for them to enter into the promised land. And they get to the edge of the promised land and, and Moses has to stop them. And he said, now listen closely as to what is about to happen. We are about to march into the place where God has put us. Like this is the whole reason that he has pulled us out of Egypt. And now this is the place where we're supposed to be. So listen closely to these rules. Follow them intently. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Starting in verse 6, I'll read it to you. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God is saying, listen, we're starting fresh. We're starting fresh. This is the way this has to go. Here are the rules. Impress these things upon yourself. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them everywhere you go. Write them on the door frames of your house and write them on the city gates. 
way you don't forget. If you notice in verse 6, it says, you. Fathers, it's you. Verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be up on your hearts. You know the worst part about being a dad? The worst part? Is that you can't teach what you don't know. That's the worst part. Do as I say, not as I do. It'd be so much easier. I mean, think about it. Stop fighting with your brother. Stop yelling at your sister. All the while they're saying, yeah, but what about you? I know this is uh, it's a heavy topic. Here's how we change the dynamic of our homes, of our churches, of our communities. We start with the way that we care. Number one, we address the you in you. We cannot address these children that we have in our homes, these young kids that are around us, unless we are in a better place. If we're not in a better place, what on earth do you have to give? It's like an empty pitcher. If you have nothing, what are you giving? Nothing. You have to get right with God. Do you notice what it says? You. You follow these commandments. It starts with you. Dads, I think we could probably include moms. Dads, moms, starts with us. It starts with us. We got to get our stuff straight. But then notice the shift, how quickly it happens. And then impress these things upon them. Impress these things upon them. Do you know why that's there? Here's why. There are some pretty weighty topics inside of Scripture. And if you've ever sat down with your kids, and some of you have done this, you've ever sat down with your kids and you've said, I would like to teach you this thing about Scripture. Instantly, your brain just goes like numb, like fried. Like how do you break down some of these complex ideas and hand them over to a child? Um, so Jesus died for your sins? What did he do wrong? Well, he didn't do anything wrong. Well, why did they kill him? Well, uh, it was kind of the way things were, but... God was okay with it. God was okay with killing his own son? <sighs> Go find your mother. <laughs> like she teaches. She would know something about this. Right? <laughs> yeah, but aren't you the preacher? <laughs> okay, enough. <laughs> enough. <laughs> but you know what happens when you begin to learn how to teach children things about Scripture? You understand it better. Like you understand it better. I love the story that Luke tells about Derek when he was little. And he tells him about Jonah and the great fish. And how Derek kept saying, Nuh-uh, Daddy. Nuh-uh. Not a big fish. Nuh-uh. Didn't swallow him. And Luke is arguing with him. Yes, it did, Derek. 
never even thinking about how crazy that sounds in his own mind. Nothing will revamp your faith in, in God and your trust in Scripture like sitting down and telling those stories to your kids and you begin to think of things and hear things and ask questions and they will ask you questions. You impress this upon yourself first. Then you begin to impress that upon them. And when you do, what happens is there's this dialogue. And Jesus says something about this, I think, where two or more gather in my name, there I am with you. There I am with you. We start with our care. Number one, the way we care. We start with caring for ourselves, getting ourselves in that place with God first, and then taking this these passages of scripture and these stories and our experiences in life and handing them over to our kids. And you think to yourself, well, my kids are gone, my kids are grown, my kids are, are, uh, are outside my reach. Um, you know what? That's all right. That's 100% all right. God knows your situation. He has grace and mercy on your situation. He loves you. He loves them. What's important is that you do the part you can do. What can you do? You can work on you you can do that. You can get you where you need to be. You can take God's commands and you can impress them upon yourself. And that's where you start. James Bryan Smith in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, tells a story about taking his six-year-old son to an amusement park. There's this ride and it's kind of a adrenaline junkie kind of ride and he's got his little boy with him. He walks up to this little carnival stand and takes the little belt and puts it over the little boy. And you know how rickety some of those things look. And if you, you don't know whether to like put hand sanitizer on it or just not get on it at all, you know? You're looking at nuts and bolts that are, and he's looking at him and he's thinking, I am so nervous. The dad's so nervous about getting on this ride. Puts on a brave face for his boy. Are you excited? Are you excited? The whole time the dad's like, I'm not excited. The boy's like, yeah, I'm excited. And they went on this ride, and it was just incredible, terrifying. And they go through the entire ride. Gets back to the end. The dad's legs are wobbly as he gets off. Thank you. Later on, he's sitting with the boy, and he turns, and he looks at him, and he says, it was awfully brave of you to ride that ride. Why did you, why did you ride that ride? And he looks off at his dad, and he says, because you did, Daddy. Because you did. The example that we set in fear, in anxiety, in trouble, in panic, in problem, the, the picture that we put forward for them is what we will replicate in our own life. If you begin to take inventory of your life, if I begin to take inventory of my life, what are my kids going to learn about marriage? What are they going to learn about responsibility? What are they going to learn about how things are broke up and household chores are broke up inside the home? What are they going to learn about what a dad should do and how a dad should interact? What are they going to learn about how involved a dad is in the life of his children? I wonder if, if what my kids see growing up is going to be 
a determining factor in who they choose to marry when they get older. And I wonder if I'm pleased with that. They will do what we do. It starts first with our care. Verse 7 is really cool and really wonderful. Um, an important verse for me. Impress them on your children. Listen to how they say this. Talk about them when you sit down at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. These are four very different verbs. When you sit, when you go, when you walk, when you sojourn, when you go to sleep at night, and when you wake up, talk about me then. In all those times, find something to talk about with them that has something to do with me. God says, when they're sitting at home, you know, playing on their iPads, talk about me. When you go places, talk about me. And when you go to sleep at night, talk about me. And when you get up, talk about me. You know, you could back up and you could probably march through all four of those areas in your life. Wouldn't it have been awesome, and maybe some of you did, to have a parent, to have a father who would step into your life and tell you when, hey, this would be a very good time. These are the times that you sit down and you be quiet and you learn. These are the moments that you sit down and you be quiet and you learn. Wouldn't it have been nice to not have to learn that the hard way? Wouldn't it be nice if there would have been a father who stepped in and said, listen, this is what men do. You work. You get up and you go, and you go do work. That's what you do. It's about going. 80% of your life is going to be about going. So go, and when you go, you go and you walk in the ways of the Lord, and you carry out all of your work with integrity and with character. This is how you go. This is how you walk on the road. Wouldn't it have been nice for somebody, for a father to be in the home? To be able to tuck you in at night and say, now listen, this is how we sleep. Our people sleep different than normal people. You see, you know all those anxieties and all those things that you worry about when you lay your head down? You know how your heart begins to race and how your pulse actually goes up when you get horizontal and you can't shut your mind down. You know, our people sleep different. This is what a dad should do. So when you lay your head down on the pillow, here's what we do. We take all of those anxieties and we scoop them up like a load of laundry, even though we're dropping parts and we're kicking them all the way down the hallway. We take them and we throw them at the foot of the cross before we close our eyes. And you know what happens? We rest because tomorrow we walk. Wow, yeah, that would be good. And then when you wake in the morning, when you rise, how powerful would it have been to have a father who stands beside you in those moments when you're faced with adversity and opposition and you don't have the answers and you're struggling to know what to do and you think to yourself, like, I feel like I should do something, but I don't know what I should do. If I, if I only had a, 
an example, a role model, somebody who could just tell me what to do. And a father steps in and he goes, now's the time to rise. This is the time we get up. This is the time we push forward. This is the time that we rise. Now go get them. Would have been awesome. Some of you have experienced that. It's a story about a military school where all the students in the school just broke out, just absolute mutiny. They rebelled against all of the staff that's, that's at this military school, and they couldn't get them calmed down. They tried their best to reason with them and bargain with them, and they, they couldn't get the kids to stop down. It had just become absolute chaos. All of a sudden, they started writing out letters to all the parents saying, here's what's going on. Your child is doing this. Your child is doing this. Your child is doing this. And everybody's getting letters. Before too long, all the letters started coming back from all the fathers. If you don't behave, I'll cut you off. Not a penny more. Another letter came in. You better hope I don't have to come up there. Other ones came in, letters that said, you know what, I'll have you know, you're a disgrace to this family. Then there was one that came in that was so powerful. It was opened up and it simply said, steady, my boy, steady, father. How awesome would it be to have somebody who is beside you. I don't know what's going on up there, and maybe you're right, so steady, my boy, steady. I don't know that you don't need to rebel, and I don't know that you do, but I trust in your spirit. How empowering would that be? You mean to tell me that fathers don't have a major role in the development of kids? Oh, absolutely they do. That's in our communication. We start first with our care, how you care for you, and you get you and God on the right page, and then you work on your children, and that's your care. But then the next part is your communication. That's the communication. Talk about everything and talk about it everywhere. Everywhere you go, talk about me and talk about things that have to do with me and talk about the way we do things because our people do things differently third way is with action. I love this. Um, look at verse 8. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. See, the Jews had these things called phylacteries. And there were these necklaces and these little wristbands. They were little, little leather boxes. In fact, I got to go to uh, the, I think it's the Boston Museum of Science several years ago, and the Dead Sea Scrolls were on display. And what they had found with the Dead Sea Scrolls were also these little phylacteries. And these, they're these little boxes, and they have these little miniature scrolls in them, almost written like in microscopic writing. And it's, it's, it's God's word in these little bitty scrolls. And they would wear them, and then they would pull them out. Think of David while he's tending sheep. I mean, how long can you stare at sheep? I don't know. I know for me, not very long. But I can't do anything for very long. 
So what do you do while you wait? You pull out these scrolls and they would read these things. You know what else is interesting about it? Is it says that tie them on your wrist and tie them on your head. Oh, how vital would that, how much of a difference would that have made in your life? Somebody would have taken extra care with your actions and extra care with your thoughts. If somebody would have plugged into you and said, you know, I don't know what's going on inside your mind and I don't know what you got going on with your actions, but are they holy? Are you honoring God with your thoughts? Are you honoring God with your actions? And everywhere you put your hand, you're reminded that you've got this thing and this responsibility that you have decided to pick up and care. And this thing that's around your neck all the time, these things that are, are, are put onto our foreheads, they're imprinted into our minds. If somebody would have taken the time to care about us on that level, how empowering would that have been? You see, that's the role of fathers. That's what we do. To address hearts and minds, the actions and the thoughts of our children, to invest in them on that level. But not just our own words, not just our own advice, but to take God's words and begin to break them down and find creative ways that we can help remind our kids. I've told you this story before, but I love it. We had this opportunity at one point to sit down and, and talk to our girls about we had some things we were going to do. We were going we to work on some places we were going to go over the summer. And then some things changed. <clears throat> some things changed, and we, we weren't able to get away. And we sat back, and we said, well, how is God going to provide? And Kate and I were just sick about it. So we'd made some promises. We told the girls, this is what we're going to do. Now we're, gonna, now we're not going to be able to do that. We're going to have to change the plans. And I'm racking my brain like, there has got to, what, like, what do we do? And just in my mind's eye, what I saw was the word how. H-O-W, question mark, how. We came into the house. It was just, I was just flooded with inspiration and emotion. And I said, I need everybody in the living room right now. Hurry, come here, quick. They came in, they said, down, what is it, Dad? I said, oh my goodness. I said, you are about to experience one of the coolest things you're ever going to experience in your entire life. This is going to be the initiation, the moment when you and God make contact. Are you listening? Yeah, what is it? We've got some things that have changed. We don't know what's going to happen. We're waiting on God to show up and, and supply what it is that we need. So in your mind, this is what I need you to do. I need you to think of the word how, H-O-W, question mark, on a great big piece of construction paper or poster board in your mind, in block letters. Do you have it? Yeah, we have it. I said, can you see it? We see it. I said, good, now keep it right there. I said, over the course of the next month, you're going to see some things happen that are going to be pretty powerful. I said, God is going to show up and he's going to supply our needs in some really, really strange ways. Really strange ways. And as I'm saying it, I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, please show up. <laughs> it's nothing like hanging God out, you know. It's like, thanks a bunch. I wasn't going to do that. But. And I said, you just have to watch. Just wait and watch. 
over the course of the next month, I can't tell you how many times they would run into the living room and they would say, Dad, I need to talk to you. You're never going to believe what happened. You're never going to believe what happened. What happened? I found $5. Is this part of the how? I said, it is. Wow. Dad, you're never going to believe what happened. What? I just found out today I got a dance scholarship. Is this a part of the how? It is. Dad, you're never going to believe what happened. Is this a part of the how? It is. It is. Communication matters. Talk about all of it and talk about it everywhere. but it's also in our consistency. In our consistency. We're going to falter. We're going to fail. We're going to drop the ball. We're going to fight and argue. We're going to have seasons that are horrible. It's going to be like cats and dogs, both raining and fighting. It's going to be tough at different times. But there should be some consistency established. And here's the consistency that we have to establish inside of our homes. We do not yell at one another. But if we do, we apologize in front of everyone. If we bicker in front of people, then we make right in front of people. We treat each other with respect, mutual consideration. This is how we live our life. And if we get ourselves in a spot where we don't have an answer and she won't budge and you won't budge, have you ever had those? Probably not, but at my house. She won't budge and I won't budge. You make the call. You pick up the phone and you call somebody else. I'll never forget my wife and I were just finishing up school at Ozark Christian College and a good friend of mine called me on the phone and he said, what are you doing? And I said, it's 10 o'clock at night, buddy. Uh, just hanging out, you know, watching TV. And he said, can my wife and I come over and fight at your house? <laughs> well, you know me. My curiosity gets the best of me in most every situation. I'm like, absolutely, you can. <laughs> I don't have any idea what we're fighting about, but I'm super interested to know. Sure you can. Hung up the phone. Kate said, who was on the phone? I said, oh, you know. My buddy, Sergio. She says, what's he doing? I said, he and Jackie are coming over. For what? <laughs> to fight. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. What are they fighting about? Don't know, but to find out. <laughs> oh, good. So what are we supposed to do? Don't know. Don't have any idea. <laughs> any idea what we're supposed to do. But, I mean, I'm going to be on his team. And so, <laughs> I guess you've got to be on her team. And she was like, okay. And I'm like, we're on the same team, secretly on the same team, but I'm going to be on his team for this. And they came over, and they argued, and they fought. And somewhere in the midst of that conversation, both of us went, wait a second, hold on. That's not what she's saying. And Kate said, wait a second. That's not what he's saying. Oh, it's not? That's not what you meant? No, that's not what I meant. What I meant was, oh. And they hugged. 
and awkwardly walked out the, thanks, shut the door. And then my wife and I just looked at each other like, think we could do this the rest of our life? <laughs> Seems fun. When you can't get it right, you make the call. You find somebody who will sit and listen to it. And you have the conversation. Because this is what dads do. We lead our homes. We establish the rules. We don't stand by and let somebody else establish our rules. We establish the rules with grace and with strength and with consideration and with mercy. We establish the rules that we understand are going to care for our families best. It requires consistency. The consistency that has to be in our family is that we operate the same way every single time. And when we make a mistake, we apologize. And when we apologize, the other person forgives. You don't get to hold a grudge, do you, Jared? No, you don't, Jared. You have to get over it. You have to forgive. And we do that with our consistency our actions, and our thoughts. There's another way that we can do this as well, and I love this verse. This, this whole passage is so cool. Verse 9, tie them, I mean, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Room by room. What am I supposed to do in this room? Honor God with my life. What am I supposed to do in this room? Honor God with my life. What am I supposed to do in this room? Honor God with my life. You know what that means? It means that all the door frames in, in your house uh, have scripture written across them and, and they're bathed in prayer. Do you know what? It's really, really, really hard to have some secret closet that nobody else gets to be in. It's really hard to have these little unswept corners of your life. And when we do a good job, that's what we get. We get a home that's holy. We get a home that's peaceful. But here's what else is cool, is it starts with the home. You work on your home. You work on your home. But it doesn't stop the responsibility there. Men, listen to this. Some of you are thinking to yourself, well, I'm glad I'm not a dad. This sounds like it sucks a lot. I'm so glad that I'm not a dad. I got some super bad news for you guys. Super bad. You're responsible too. You see, when God made man, he had an intention. You know what his intention was? To make him a husband. And you know what the intention of him being a husband is? Becoming a dad. So do you know what your intention is as a man? You better be preparing yourself to be a husband and preparing yourself to be a dad. Because that is what God has got lined up for you. You could selfishly choose something else. And I suppose maybe there's a, there's a chance that what God is doing is, is saying, no, not for you. It's not for you. We see that with the Apostle Paul. But that's probably a very select few. The responsibility didn't start or stop just at the home. It says move it out to the city gates. The city gates. You know what that means? That means that if you are in a place to where there are not children of your own inside your home and underneath your feet, then you better find some to mentor. 
You have a responsibility to your city. You have a responsibility to the other families. You have a responsibility to take care of these other kids. They're innocent. I don't care where their dads went or what their dads are doing. The kids are innocent. And we have to be involved. And so here's what it looks like. Sometimes it looks like t-ball. And you coach, and you watch these little knuckleheads just run in circles. They don't have any idea what they're doing. They run backwards on the bases. They don't know anything right. They don't do anything right. They're waving at their moms. They got their bats. Their hands are crossed up backwards on the bat. They're you mentor. That means there's some high school, some high school boys near you. And for whatever reason, they just take an attachment to you. As frustrating as it may be, you find yourself on the ball field with them or on the football field with them or you find yourself somewhere on a, on a, on a, on a hay monster with them. You find yourself sitting there spending time talking to them about a bad breakup or some big decisions. You have responsibility to write God's commands upon the city gates. What do you think would happen if the whole city lived by that? You know, at one point, the whole city cared about fathers. And then we stopped. We stopped writing that on the city gates. We stopped doing it. Why did we stop doing that? Get lazy. It's too hard. I don't want any responsibility in my life. God asks us to do that. And here's the reason why. Because we are a window into who God is. Men, are you listening? Our lives are a window into who God is. So why well, I don't feel like that, Jared. Of course not. Most of us don't. But that is the responsibility. And that is the standard. It's supposed to pull away from us some idea of who God is. And if you don't think that's a real concept, the idea that we should get involved in the lives of other young people, there's no greater example than Jesus Christ, is there? Who went along and scooped up all these little knuckle-headed fishermen, right? Bunch of foul-mouthed little sailors, tax collectors, just little backstabbers. He brought them all in, and he walked with them, and he talked with them, and he slept beside them. And they shared meals together. And he warned them. And he prepared them. He prepared them for what was going to happen. And he walked them all the way through it. And he cried in front of them. He loved them. And that's our responsibility. We are to be a picture of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And our role as a father is instrumental in that. There's a pastor whose young son had become very ill, and very ill, and after the boy had undergone an exhaustive series of tests, all the news came back, and he was shocking to find out that the boy was terminal. The youngster had accepted Christ as his savior, and so this young minister knew that death would usher him into glory, but nobody wants that straight away. He wondered how he would set and he would tell his son this news. How do you tell your child that? 
here's the bad news. He sat down with him. He prayed. The heavy heart, he sat down with the boy and he said, I need to talk to you. He read him a passage of scripture. And then he told him, the doctor said you only have a few more days to live. Are you afraid to meet Jesus? Tears in his eyes. The father's trying to choke it back. Are you afraid? Are you, do you fear meeting Jesus? And the boy looked up at his dad and he said, No, not if he's like you. Not if he's like you. You see, that's our role as dads. We cast a vision of what the kingdom of heaven is like and who God is, and that's the responsibility of the father. It's not just some biological accident. This is a God-orchestrated event and calling on our life. 